title of today's message is Grafted In, and we're going to be studying from Romans chapter 11, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, going through that, that great chapter of the Word of God. Most of you know that my schedule is kind of full right now. Mondays I work 24 hours. Tuesday and Wednesday I'm in Marshfield. I don't get home until early Thursday morning. Then I wake up Thursday, try to get all my stuff for church and office and administrative and then of course the sermon for Sunday try to get that done on Thursday Friday back to work for 24 hours and then Saturday usually trying to recover and get the last stuff done and then Sunday of course I'm here so I've been pretty busy lately and I'm doing clinicals over at Marshfield right now and this is the first time since I started this whole school thing that I actually get to take care of patients as a nurse and not as a paramedic. And we got our patients, got to the floor, started going through our assessments, saw to their needs, and then went back. We charted everything. Nursing shift change comes. We give report to the next nurse. Um, they critique us on how uh, our report went and, and some of uh, stuff like that. I saw that the patient had some labs that he needed to have surgery the next day and they weren't ordered yet, so we made sure those got ordered. They saw, thought that was a great catch. I got a, they scored on a one, a zero, one and two, two is the best. I got two for that clinical. So I was feeling pretty good about myself. After we get done with our clinical rotation, we go to something called post-conference, which is where we present our patients to each other and we critique each other and help each other get better. And our nursing instructor congratulated us on a great first day, and then he asked, or she asked me a, a question. She said, what was your nursing diagnosis and treatment plan for that patient? And I would imagine, I mean, I can't see what my face looked like, but I would imagine I had a totally blank look on my face. I said, I never really even thought about what the nursing diagnosis or care plan was for this patient. I just managed their their disease for them. She goes, well, that's a great paramedic way of looking at things. You're a nurse now. You don't treat diseases, you treat people. You got to break out of that mindset. She said, so think it over and tell me after the next group gives a report. So I've been going to school for two years now and I missed the central point of being a nurse, which is nursing care plans. I stayed completely in this medical physician type mindset that treats disease and, and forgot that nursing mindset treats the person in order to defeat the disease. Now I bring all this up, not just to add fluff to a sermon, but it's a way of illustrating what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 11. Now Paul continues to build on this idea of God's sovereignty that we talked about last week. And Paul speaks about the Jews being the chosen of God. But despite thousands and thousands of years of interaction with the Father, they missed the entire point of what God wanted for them. And instead, they clung to this form of religion that had no real power. Not only did it not have any power, but it was actually leading them directly into the trap of the enemy and pushing a performance-based mindset to make them pleasing to God. That's right where the enemy wants us. And that's the synopsis of Romans 11, 1 through 10. 
God, God goes through there and assures us that Israel, even though they've messed up, has not fallen permanently away from grace. In fact, Paul mentions the reason for their falling away in verse 12. He said, but if there their Jewish traditions, or transgression, excuse me, means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? So he's saying there that, yes, they have fallen now, but because they were the progenitors of your faith, they will eventually gain massive riches through that. In other words, there is still a future for the Jewish people and God's plans. Most of it will occur during the tribulation period. If you come here on Wednesday nights, you know that we go through the book of Revelation. We talk somewhat about that, of the Jewish people being uh, used by God mightily during the tribulation period. But right now there is a spiritual stupor over them. And it's blinded them for thousands of years. But during the tribulation time, that will be removed. And they will rise up as leaders of the tribulation church until they welcome their Messiah when Jesus returns to build his kingdom on earth. And until then, Paul uses the rest of chapter 11 to explain the Gentiles coming into faith in Christ by using the illustration of an olive tree. And before we get to this, that central scripture today, I wanted to tell you what that olive tree represents. And the answer is actually found earlier in the book of Romans. If you remember from Romans chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. So the olive tree is referring back to Abraham and not just the man. Not just the man. We're not going to like worship him or put him necessarily up on a pedestal. What we're pointing to is his defining characteristic. And we see what that is in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 15 verse 6 it said, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham became, the, Abraham became the father of all who would believe because he believed God. And that trunk of the olive tree here in Romans 11 represents Abraham, and more importantly, the spiritual characteristic that made him pleasing to God. And that characteristic is simply faith. He believed God. Now with that in mind, let's read uh, Romans eleven thirteen through 24. This is Paul speaking. I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I as an apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If part of the dough is offered as first fruits as holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap of the, from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. 
If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say to them, well, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Verse 22. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. But if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of, an, out of an olive tree that was wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. And Lord, I ask, Father, that you just make this unfamiliar illustration very obvious to us, Lord, that you will make it understandable and that you will help us to see exactly where we fit within this whole plan of salvation, Lord. Help us to read it, help us to understand it, and help us to love Jesus even more as we see everything that was done for us in order to graft us back in to the saving faith. Lord God, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, Paul talks here a little bit about both the kindness and the sternness of God. And Paul makes a point of saying that even though we as Gentiles are now grafted into the olive tree of Abraham's faith, or Abraham's faith, we should consider that the Jewish people were broken off because of stubborn unbelief, because of a lack of faith. And Paul isn't just saying all of this just to fill space in his letter to the Romans. He is warning us as Gentile believers, that's you and me unless you're Jewish here and I don't know about it, you and I are all Gentiles here. He's warning us as Gentile believers that God judged Israel in the same way He will judge us, according to our faith. It's always been about faith. And no one who actually reads the Bible for what it says can actually accuse God of being unfair. He, used, he has always used and will always use the same criteria, regardless of what historical period you're in, regardless of the dispensation, regardless of how you, you cut up the Bible periods, he's always used that same criteria. It always has been about faith. Whether it was faith to follow the law, faith to follow your conscience, faith to, to trust in human government, whatever, whatever his criteria was, it has always been about faith. And faith is simply believing that God's Word is true. That's what faith is. Faith is what Satan attacked in the Garden of Eden, calling into question God's character and veracity by asking Eve, did God really say? Did He really say that? Is that what you think He really meant? 
Did he really have your good intentions and, and, and have good plan for you by that? He called into, into question God's character. In other words, tried to draw Eve's faith away from God. And it's the same tactic that he uses on you and I today. He asks us, did God really say? Did God really say not to covet? Did God really say you don't need a gigantic house like your neighbor has? It's only you. Why do you need six bedrooms for? Did God really say don't covet? Did God really say don't put anything before him? And that could be a lot of things. Sporting events. Hunting. I love to hunt, but I don't do it on Sunday mornings. Not just because it's my job, but I wouldn't. Did God really say don't commit adultery? And did Jesus really expand on that and said, don't even look at a person or think of a person with lustful intent? Did God really say do not steal? Does that mean standing around, not doing anything for 10 minutes before the time clock says it's time to go home and punch out? Is that stealing? Maybe it's just a paper clip, piece of paper you took without permission. Stealing. These are some of the things that the Jews were very fastidious about being obedient towards. You wouldn't see a Jew ever do anything like that. They were to the letter of all 613 laws you could find in the Bible. They did their absolute best to obey every single one of them. But what happened is they focused so much on an individual tree that they forgot there's a whole forest here. They, God, that's why God told them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They could be so fastidious and so serious about following these laws that they would cut humans and push them away from the God that they were pursuing or trying to find out about. And they took what was supposed to be a close, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit dwelling within them and being upon them, and they traded it for dead religion. So God said, since you want this dead religion, I'm not going to have you in this living vine over here and I'm going to break you off and throw you away. That sounds harsh. But what is more harsh? Wouldn't it be more harsh to force a person who wants nothing to do with somebody and force them to live with that person? Wouldn't it be more harsh and torturous for these people that reject God to try to force them to be grafted into a vine that they spent their whole life being offended by? Wouldn't it be even worse for a person who has hated God their whole life to try to force them to live with Him forever in heaven? God isn't like that. He will allow you to to live and or rise and fall on your own decisions. And that brings us to our next point, and that is the meaning of being grafted in. Christianity as a faith is grafted in to the faith of Abraham. It all started with him. Now, how many people have a tree in their yard or a tree near them that drops some type of seed every fall? Anybody have one of those? I do. They all fall to the ground. You try to rake them up, but, but you know the snow falls. Then the spring comes, all the snow melts, and you get out the lawnmower for the first time, and you start driving around, and all of a sudden you see all these little saplings coming up around the tree. 
all these, these trees that you, or seeds that you missed, and they're starting to pop up. My grandfather worked as a forestry technician for decades for the DNR. And he would go out, where he, and you see this up north a lot, where you're driving along the highway and you see all these managed forests. So what a managed forest is, is they allow the logging company to come in and just clear cut everything. But right before the log company comes in, the DNR technicians will go in and they'll grab the saplings out of the ground. And they'll, they'll just fill up trucks filled with saplings. And then the logging company comes in and just raises the whole thing. DNR comes right behind them with their forestry technicians and replants the trees behind them. So in about 10, 15, 20 years, the forest looks the same, except that it's very orderly. <laughs> it's like the trees are lined up exactly in a row. And my grandpa used to tell me, this is the Norwegian way of doing it, Johnny. It is in a row. It is in order. <laughs> he's he's full-blooded Norwegian. So he said, that's the way it's supposed to be. I think he was more German than Norwegian, but <laughs> he said it was, that's the right way to do it. And he would, he would go through and he would do that. And he said some of the other things that they did was they would sometimes graft um, some of these samplings into living trees. So they would go out and they would look at these managed forests and they would see like a branch that was starting to get eaten by some insect. And they would break some of that branch off and trim it back down to where it looked healthy, shave it off, and then they would graft in a branch from another tree or a sapling, and they would graft it in and they'd wrap it up. And they did this so that the tree would remain balanced so that when the wind came, it wasn't leaning one way or the other. And the tree would... would um, be healthy uh, for that. And it gave me an idea of what being grafted in means because I got to see my grandpa do it my entire childhood. And just like what's going on up there with those trees, God has taken us, some of these wild offshoots from our original tree, and grafted us back in to that healthy tree. And God does this by, through grace by faith. But Paul also gives us a warning. He says, don't let your head get too big about God choosing you, a Gentile, over Israel during this time, this church age. God had spent over 4,000 years with the Jewish people, trying to get them to walk right before them for for more than a generation. I mean, they would usually do okay for a generation. The next generation would rise up and right back into the, the slide down into sin they would go. And finally, he broke them off. And I say that because I want us to remember that don't think for a moment he won't do the same for us. That if we continue to rebel against him, if we continue to thumb our nose at him, if we continue to push him away, that God won't eventually break us off that plant also. In fact, in the entire tribulation, God's going to flip from grafting the Gentiles into the faith of Abraham to focusing on regrafting the Jews into it, into that saving faith. And that brings us to our last point of the day is that grace through faith is the glue that holds you to the vine. As I said previously, God really hasn't changed 
throughout the entire Bible. It's always been about faith. He hasn't changed in what he expects from every and every single human being who has ever lived. He expects us to have faith. It's faith in his word and that his word is true. And not just the blessings and the promises that he gives to the faithful. We want to trust in those, right? We like to say, by your stripes we are healed. We like to say that you, if we give into the church and give into ministry and give to others, that you will you know, return that to us, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You will return all of that back into us. We love those kind of promises. But keep in mind, he has some di- also has promises of judgment that awaits those who rebel against him. God is fair in the way that he deals with us. Paul says in another book of the Bible that he wrote, in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show his, the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What it's saying here and what it means for us today is that God grafting us back into the vine is an act of loving grace on God's part when we showed faith in Jesus Christ. Your part or our part, is to exercise faith so that grace can do its job in keeping you knit to this vine tightly. It's often been said that grace is the acronym that stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. That grace, that Jesus, everything that Jesus went through for you and me is what binds us to that uh, vine. It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. Grace is the ultimate gift that God has given to all humanity to receive forgiveness of sin, to repent of our wild and wicked ways, and to come and forever to be grafted back into God's family of faith. But again, it's all about Jesus. He did the work. He's the one that holds us there by His grace and His strength and and through our faith. And if you're trusting in anything else, anything else to gain God's favor, especially your own good behavior or your own good deeds, you're doomed. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's all about Jesus. It's like I told somebody the other day when they said, well, I think my good karma will outweigh my bad karma and then Jesus will forgive me. I said, Jesus plus anything else equals hell. It's all about Him. You can't trust in your own good behavior. It's all about Him. And that's why grace through faith is the glue that holds us to that vine. It's Jesus that bought us. 
He's bought us. He's given us faith through the empowerment of His Holy Spirit and holds us to that vine. And faith in the Father's love that lets us flourish and begin to drop some of our own seeds that can bring life to other people. And I want to end this morning with a prayer focus. Because I can't think of any time in my own lifetime where this idea of dropping these seeds is more important than right now. Earlier in chapter 11, Paul refers to those who persist in being hard-hearted toward God by saying this. In chapter 11, verse 9, he said, And others were hardened, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. And I know that, that we think, and it would be correct to say, that this was referring all, only to the Jews of that day. But it's also beginning to apply to us here in the 21st century. How many people watch the news and ask yourself, how do they believe in something that is so obviously a lie? How can, they, how can they twist their brain around that when it doesn't even make sense? Well, the answer comes from our study in Romans chapter 1, 18-22. It's being talked about a little bit here again in chapter 11 of Romans. And it's spoken of again in 2 Thessalonians. I think 2 Thessalonians is God giving Paul a vision of 2020 America. And he wrote these words in chapter 2 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10 he said they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11. Verse 11 is where we are right now. For this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. If you can stand behind a podium and say, God bless Planned Parenthood and mean it, you've believed a lie. Most of us have noticed that if you try to reason with these people, you can't. They won't see reason. You can't use logic. You can't use common sense because they have bought the lie. And the only way to break through that is through God's mercy as we commit ourselves to pray and to seek His face. And that's what I want to do this morning. We need to start dropping seeds of the Gospel everywhere. And then we actually need to pray. Not just talk about praying. Not just say, yeah, I should pray more. Not just say, yeah, okay, I'll pray when I have some time. But actually take time. Put it on your calendar and spend time in prayer for people. Because the time is growing incredibly short. 